Thank you all so much for joining us this week. The panel that you're about to experience is going to be recorded for the Higher Ed Jobs podcast. It'll be a discussion featuring five staff and faculty members from the very local University of Louisville. The panelists will share their expertise in student success, program development, leadership, and funding that fosters institutional commitment for the military-connected community at UofL. The panelist discussion will include creating buy-in and leveraging existing institutional mechanisms, establishing a veteran employee resource group, hiring military-connected staff and faculty, and funding best practices and strategies. If y'all will help welcome our panel up here. I don't know if y'all realize like how cool this is that we're doing a live podcast right now as a keynote, right? Have y'all been to one of these before? We hope it's pretty innovative and cool. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to them. Thank you for that lovely introduction and thank you for having us. I'm Andy Hebble. I'm the chief operating officer and one of the co-founders of Higher Ed Jobs. Higher Ed Jobs is also proud to share that In 2020, we founded another site called Higher Ed Military that was specifically designed to serve this community. And I can tell you the curiosity started a little bit before we had heard from lots of employers at colleges and universities who were looking to hire veterans. And after hearing that, we went through a bunch of different scenarios of what we may want to do or what should we do to meet that need. And Kelly and I attended four years ago in February 2020, this symposium back in Seattle. And uh, we came to, to learn more than anything else. And we were amazed by how welcoming of a community this community is. And we feel like we've learned a little bit, but how much we've learned from this community. And to just give a shout out, if, if uh, anybody from the College of St. Scholastica is here, Two folks from that college, Greg White and Jeff Pearson, sat us down and read us the law, if you will, and let us know if we were going to do this, that we we should really be a responsible citizen. So we actually spent a year developing the website and making sure that we can be a respectful partner in the endeavors that your missions serve. So that was kind of how this all started for us. But along the way, we've gotten to know these great folks over at Louisville, and uh, we came up with this idea that maybe we should try to do it. And I know we're saying live, like, there is nothing broadcasting here live. I can tell you that what is happening here is being recorded. And so if you're going to come to one of those microphones and ask a question, know that when you state your name and state who you are and the question that you ask, that's being recorded. So if you mess up your name, which... One of us might frequently do while we're recording the podcast, just simply repeat it. So that's kind of another heads up for today that, hey, we're, we're also recording today. And while we might say stupid things in front of you all, um, we don't want that out there for our children to hear. Um, so having organic laughter is not discouraged here. We're not watching golf here. There's no polite clapping necessary with that. My co-host and partner in this endeavor, Kelly Sherwin. Thanks, Andy. So I'm going to try to multitask here and click ahead. So as Andy said, I am the co-host of the Higher Ed Jobs podcast. I'm also the director of editorial strategy. So normally on our podcasts, I will take this time to introduce our guests, and I'll give a little bio of them. But you guys don't want to hear from me. So I'm actually going to turn it over to our panelists, who we are so thankful that 
they have agreed to speak with us. I'm so looking forward to their conversation. So I will turn it over to Thank you. Thank you. As the slide says, my name is Alan Kellogg. I'm the uh, chief of staff for the athletic department. I retired from the military in 2022, so I've been in the position. I had a, a short transition of about two weeks from the military to when I started at UofL. Great to be here today. Appreciate the opportunity to come speak to you and just appreciate your work with military-connected students. Good afternoon. I'm Jesse Murnock. I'm the Senior Director of Presidential Operations, which in military terms is like the XO for the president. I retired from the Army in 2020 out of the University of Louisville Professor of Military Science position and have been in this role since then. Happy to be here. Thanks for hosting. Hi, my name is Jeff Son. I'm a professor of higher education law at the University of Louisville, and I also serve as associate dean for innovation and strategic partnerships. In other words, I just do research, so, so that's my job. Hi, everybody. I'm Megan Pfeiffer. I'm an associate professor of higher ed at UofL. I'm currently chairing the Department of Counseling and Human Development, but I had the pleasure of working with Jeff on our master educator course for a number of years, which is, which is a point of pride for us. So we love seeing this many veterans and veteran-friendly folks in one room. Welcome. Good afternoon. I'm Kyle Hurwitz. I am the director of the Center for Military Connected Students. Uh, retired from the Air Force in 2018 and started at the great institution. Thanks for having us today. Very much looking forward to this dialogue. Not that I speak on behalf of these fantastic folks, but let me just say from the University of Louisville's perspective, we don't have all the answers. We know that. Hopefully we get more from you than you get from us today. So thanks for your time. Thank you all for introducing yourselves. So I know all of you guys can see our agenda in, in the room here, but for those listening to the podcast later on, I just want to go over a little bit of the topics that we're going to talk about. So we will talk about creating buy-in, leveraging existing institutional mechanisms, and avoiding echo chambers for institutional support of the military-connected community. We'll also be discussing veteran employee resource groups. We'll be talking about experiences hiring military-connected staff and faculty. And we'll talk about some lessons learned pursuing funding for the military-connected hiring programs and initiatives. And then we'll allow some time at the end for some questions and answers. So let's get started with our conversation. Kyle, I'm going to toss this one over to you for our first question. It's actually a a two-part question here. So as we know, every institution is a little bit different in how they're, they're structured, and some institutions might have an easier time implementing military inclusivity efforts than others. Kyle, what advice do you have for people to, to get more buy-in and support from their leadership team and other departments to make these efforts more feasible? Yeah, thank you. First of all, I think I need some binoculars to see you way down there. Um, structure matters, right? We all know that. Not all senior administrators have military-connected students as a priority of focus. And so each of you face unique challenges in that vein, depending on the level of support or, or not you receive from your managers and all the way up to your senior administrators. I'll tell you from a personal perspective, I'm blessed in that my center reports directly to the provost uh, with a dash line to Jesse in the president's office. And the extent in which I found senior administrators, so I've been at UofL almost six years, we're on our third president, two presidents and an interim president. The extent to which they are interested, invested in military-connected student issues and challenges largely depends on their academic background, where they've been working uh, proximity to military installations, family members who served in the military, close friends that served in the military. So I would say that there's that spectrum, and your senior administrators are going to be somewhere along that spectrum. Again, we're blessed at the University of Louisville, and that the three people we've had most recently as our president or interim president have been very, very vested uh, in these issues, which has allowed us to move the needle on some significant issues, which we hopefully can discuss later on. So that's what I would say first. 
The second thing I would say is, of course, serving the students is the right thing to do. I don't think you'll get an argument about that from any senior administrator. But what I would say is frame the conversation about dedicating resources to this student group, about how does it or how will it benefit not just the student, but the institution and advance the institution's mission. I think too often for us that are in the trenches doing this work, we get focused on, well, of course, our institution should do X, Y, or Z. It's either an industry best practice or just common sense or every veteran student tells us to do it. And that's all true. But I think you always have to think about it from the university's perspective because there might be a reason why the university, you know, either can or is less willing to do something. So um, how does it, will it benefit the institution and advance the institution's mission? And I say you can be broad in making those connections. You know, it's not always um, directly causal. Um, but I think if you're creative about how you present that argument, it does help the conversation. Return on investment. I'm not telling this audience anything they don't know. What's the return on investment going to be? You know, Student Veterans of America has some fantastic uh, data out there about veteran student performance, right? We all know the statistics, higher GPA, higher success rates, uh, higher persistence rates, higher success rates. It also, uh, at least for the state of Kentucky, some other states are similar from a state performance model funding, underrepresented minorities, higher represented by veteran students and military connected students, which results in more performance funding from the state. So those are all things that I think help in terms of making the conversation. And then the other thing I would say is define the data set. You know, I said I'm the director for the Center for Military Connected Students. Many people are Veterans Center or Veterans and Military Students Center. I will share with you, Military Connected is a term we use because it encompasses the broadest group. And I would argue most people who would have a connection with the military. Some people might define it differently. Our definition, and this isn't going to surprise any of you, Active duty, National Guard, reserve, veteran, dependent, and even ROTC cadet. So the University of Louisville, when I say we have 2,352 military connect students, it encompasses all those categories. Some institutions only identify and or track veteran. Some track veteran and military and miss the dependent piece. Some track dependent but not ROTC cadet. And so for me, I found that helpful. When I can talk about 2,352 students, which is 10% of our enrollment of 23,000, it's impactful in terms of making the case for resources and prioritization and funding. And I will tell you two last things. In academic year 2019, 2020, we had 1,397 military connected students. Thanks to some of the things we've been able to do, we now have almost 2,400, as I said. Part of that is because of the things we've done. It's like chicken or the egg. Is it the things we've done or is it the fact that we've been able to more accurately identify and capture them, and therefore that number grows, that end grows, right, because we're bringing more people? Uh, and I would argue it's both, and hopefully we can have a conversation, dialogue about that. So that's, hopefully that was useful. Thanks, Kyle. My second part has to do with the echo chambers, but I want to, Megan, do you have anything to add to that? About echo chambers or about? The first question, or do you want to skip to the echo chambers? I think he handled it beautifully. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Kyle, do you want to touch on the, uh, the, the echo chambers and how they impact the efforts? Yeah, the irony here is we're in an echo chamber, right? We're right. talking to professionals in this space, uh, most who have more knowledge and experience doing this job than I do. Um, and we're talking about the same thing, largely by, with, and through the same lens. I would bet that most folks in here in military conduct in some form or fashion. And so I think we all know that tends to cause us to look at issues, challenges from the same perspective, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And so one of the things we've, as a group and as an institution, have found, particularly me, is 
looking at the military connected or veterans student issues through a lens that doesn't involve the word military. And I'll tell you how I do that. You know, I, I talk to my counterparts who direct the Women's Center, the McConnell Center. I know you, all your institutions have similar things. I could go on and on and on. Those centers serve completely different student groups. And the one thing I will say is we get paid to be passionate, to advocate for the needs of our students, right? For us, that's a military connected or veteran student. That student group is no more important than any other student group on campus. Sometimes it's easy to forget that because we're so vested in, and passionate about it. You know, the Latinx center director is just as passionate, just as convinced that his practices are going to be impactful, that resources will impact his students. And, and that is all true. And that's why I think it's important to, to get out on your campus and find people who have different student groups. One of the things I have learned the most about is see how my counterparts spread awareness about their services, how they track engagement, how they evaluate the effectiveness of their programming. Again, that's not rocket science, and I'm sure you all do it in some form or fashion. I just have really learned from people on my campus who aren't doing that to and for military-connected students. It's different, sometimes better, sometimes not better, but, but there are different ways to do it. There are different tools to use. One particular time, a counterpart was able to tell me that our student ID card, a card on card, shocking that you know your little cards, be a card on card, uh, has a capability to be used to be scanned when they go to a, a facility to reserve services. And by that single scan, you get all kinds of information. You can use name, ID, major, college, GPA, services they're receiving. So then you can begin to better understand who you're serving, why you're serving them. So you can better understand kind of, you know, what resources to de- dedicate towards either supporting them or early intervention. Our vice president for community engagement. If you don't know, Louisville has a very rich history as a diverse city. Obviously, Muhammad Ali is from here. I'm sure most of you know that. But our vice president for community engagement has been able to take me on the community and introduce me to some of the constituencies and some of the people that they interact with and his team interact with to learn about the kinds of things the community both views the university as and needs from the university. And that has helped as we've thought about how we do the same thing for our students. What do our students need? How do we better serve them? Again, not tied to the military lens. That's great. Kyle, thank you so much. I feel like there's a theme there that you are are really open to listening and and learning and not siloing yourself and, and pretending that you know everything and working with the community. So thank you for that. Kyle, once again, I'm going to direct this question first for you, and then I would ask any of the other panelists who might want to join in if they could join in as well. Can you tell us about the University of Louisville Veteran Employee Resource Group and any advice you might have for other campuses looking to establish one? And I'm just going to give a little color to that. I think that when you're persuading, there's always the kind of the quantitative case that you make to stakeholders across campus but maybe how some of the emotional storytelling also has been as you've made that case and tips you might have. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the question. I apologize. After this question, I think you're going to hear a lot less of me, audience. Employee resource group is nothing new. Some of you call it an affinity group. Some of you call it an association. Some of you call it an organization. They're intended to be places, employees sharing a common identity, come together to connect, to network, to create a sense of community, to share concerns. At our institution, there are eight Things like Young Professional, Black Faculty Staff Association, UofL Women's Network, etc. Our Employee Success Center provides each of these employee resources group with a very small stipend to support their operations. So that's the context for what ERG is. Again, I know you probably know this. I'll go back about two and a half years ago. Actually, Jesse and I were having a conversation about how do veteran employees connect? We have a lot of resources dedicated 
hence my center, to military connected students, how do veterans identify each other on campus? How do they connect? How do they network? All those things that ERGs are intended to do. And the answer was they really weren't. And there wasn't a mechanism for them to do so. Actually, I think it might have been Jesse who said, well, what about an employee resource group? You should talk to the Employee Success Center under the fantastic direction of our colleague of ours named Brian Buford. So before I went to Brian, I thought to myself, what's probably the first thing they're going to ask me? Yes, yes and yes. Are you a veteran and how many? Great, great questions. Thank you. And so I contacted HR and I said, do you know how many um, veterans we have employed at the university? And they're like, oh, that's a good question. Well, we can go in PeopleSoft and see, and all these caveats came out, and the conversation got longer, and then it circled back to it self-reported, and sometimes people didn't report it when they were hired, which is the only point at which they could have reported it, because there was no reason for them to have reported it. I hate to say benefit, but let's just say there was no benefit to having reported it, so maybe they didn't 30 years ago. I don't know about your institution, but there are a lot of people at University of Louisville, passionate, dedicated, that have been at UofL a really long time, particularly in the veteran space. So we go through this whole process to figure out how many employees we have at the university that self-identify, because it's a self-identifying characteristic. And it turns out it's about 10%, which is about 900 people when you, when you count our health science campus. That's a pretty impressive number. Now, full transparency, remember I said some of these people have been at UofL 30 or 40 years. Some of these veterans are much more experienced, shall we say. I, I don't want to call it aged or older. Um, and they served four years out of high school in Vietnam and have been at the university ever since and largely don't really identify as a veteran or with the veteran community or want to partake in events or things of that nature. But that's okay because at least we had a baseline. I could go to the Employee Success Center and, hey, Brian Buford, we have this crazy idea. We're thinking about starting an employee resource group. We have about 900 veterans that work at this institution. And that started the conversation. They were absolutely enthused to create an employer resource group for veterans. I'll be clear, I didn't think about the title, the name Berg, they did. But so after we went through these machinations and agreed that we were going to create it, we had the data. On any college campus, what's next? Finding awesome people who are willing to give their time to lead the committee, right? Because you don't get paid to do this. And I will tell you that our current president of our Veterans Employer Resource Group, Dr. Casey Geist, is sitting. Casey, raise your hand, please. Right there. Um, so um, uh, you can ask him all the hard questions and save the softballs for me. But I will tell you that Casey stepped up and, and said, I'll take this on. Uh, and I don't want to misspeak, but, you know, I told you 900. I think through the initial process of asking people who had self-identified, this is what we're thinking about doing. Are you interested? I think we had about 80 or 90 people initially respond. We had about 30 or 40 come to the first event, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and they've got a crew of about between 10 and 20 now that are, that are dedicated, partake, partake in events, um, belong to a message group, connect with each other. And ultimately, that's okay. If it's 20 people that didn't have a, a place to connect before, and they do now, then that, that work was worth it because those people are going to tell other veterans that UOL cares about them and there's a place for them and there are other like-minded people. And so I think, you know, that, that's the, that's the backstory, if you will. Thank you. Anyone else have anything more to add? Yeah, you're getting my wheels turning, Kyle. So thank you for those remarks. <laughs> and I'm thinking both about narrowly employees who are veterans, and then a little bit more broadly, just our military-connected populations on campus in general. 
I worked in higher ed for a very long time, including multiple degrees as a teacher, as a staff member, as an administrator, as a researcher, before the military ever crossed my mind in any way. It was never, you know, there are certain areas where I can say, oh, yes, but that's not my expertise, or oh, yes, but that's, that's not a passion I have. I didn't even think about the military in all of the ways that I had been challenged to think about higher ed. And I'm really grateful that I think we're at a time where we have a critical mass where we can change that. So that's not the case for future students, staff, faculty, leaders who, who are working with us in our organizations. So I would be an insider in the higher ed world. I strive to be a trusted outsider in the military world. I've not served. And so that positioning helps me to try to hold myself accountable for where I can make change in my own institution, which isn't always overnight. It's almost never fully funded. But these groups are helpful because they give us community and connection and shared experience and shorthand and sometimes a shared sense of humor and inside jokes. And Lord knows a common tie between us is acronyms, right? We might understand each other's acronyms, but we both got lots of them. But you also have to go outside of that comfort group within your institution. And you have to make sure that at whatever their level, your partners on campus understand the value of working with veterans and military-connected personnel and their opportunities to understand it better. So I do think that emotional connection is not only important, but I find it to be quite easy. So Jeff and I were fully invested in in working with military-connected students by the time we went to our first commissioning ceremony on campus. And shame on the people who invited us because us and a few other administrators were sitting in the front row just crying the whole time because it was so moving. And we saw these wonderful stories of grandparents pinning their grandsons and former NCOs coming up to give their first salute to their niece and just really powerful stories. I can't say it compelled and convicted us because we already had received those opportunities, thankfully, but it did give us a quick and easy tool to help spread the word because people don't want to hear any more from me and Jeff saying how great the military is. They see us coming and they're like, oh, this again. So now we can say, oh, no, I don't don't have anything new to say. What's new with you? Oh, by the way, you want to come to this commissioning ceremony with me? Um, So we all have resources on our campuses where we can help tell the story and spread the word. And strategically, that can be a really neat way for other people to say, hey, I've been thinking and I have a great idea. Shouldn't we be supporting our military-connected people more? And you can say, wow, that is a great idea. You're so smart. Let me help you do that. So you got to step out of your comfort zone, know when to step in it to recharge and to plan and, and to be encouraged, and know when to step out of it. Sometimes that's senior leaders, and sometimes it's a staff of one in a unit that doesn't typically work with military-connected people, or an employer who wouldn't typically seek out a veteran for a job in higher ed, and I'm sure we'll have lots of time to talk more about that particular topic as well. So. Know that you're part of a community that's making a positive change and, and step up and act the part and create as many opportunities for positive change as you can. Sorry, uh, I, I lied. You have normal time. Um, <laughs> thank you for that, Meg. That's um, one thing I wanted to mention. I completely passed over the emotional piece. So two things. I don't want to lie again. Um, the first is everyone in this room is, of course, familiar with Green Zone training, and I'm sure many of you at your individual academic institution either use that or have adopted a model that suits you and your institution's needs. At the University of Louisville, we have Redbird training, again, the cardinal theme, um, but ours is more broadly focused not just on veterans. 
It's more broadly focused. It's military connected in general, hence the military connected center. And we create allies. Um, and so each academic center has a Redbird trained individual who is a resource at that college, at that department to help students, but also to help their fellow faculty and staff members. I don't care if they come for the free lunch or if they come for the training, but we do it twice a year. We've done it for a year. We have more than 100 individuals who are trained. And we've really, we're doing it for selfish reasons, honestly. It helps us help ourselves. It helps us serve our students better. We have data now on the number of times that these people are able to intervene when a student has an issue because we have a reporting mechanism whereby if they're taking action for a military connected student, they come back to us and say, hey, I helped Kyle Hurwitz do you know, X, Y, and Z with issue X, Y, and Z on this date and time. And I knew what to do because I attended Redbird training or I knew what to do because my colleague Megan attended Redbird training and she said, hey, have you, have you thought about this? Or they refer this, the issue to us. That's also data. On the emotional piece, I will say, and I shared this with a good friend earlier, our president um, hosts, with the help of Jesse, a reception every year, specifically for our soon-to-be second lieutenants. We have Air Force and Army ROTC at the University of Louisville. And it is, the only purpose is a way to show these young men and women the thanks for the service they're about to do. It isn't a hard lift in terms of time, resources, or energy, but it does go a long way to signify to anyone who's looking from the outside that we literally put our money where our mouth is in terms of both serving the students and thanking those who are about to go off and serve. For many of them, it's the first and only time they've been to the president's house, and you get some interesting conversations when you have, you know, those soon-to-be second tents with some senior administrators. But that's just one example of the kind of things we work collectively on to make sure our institution does. Thanks to you, Kyle and, and Megan. And uh, uh, Alan just uh, texted me and said, can you please turn off Kyle's microphone? No, I'm kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> so, I mean, um, actually, the, the, the thoughts and, and stats and everything and the importance of hiring military-connected staff and faculty. Join us in two weeks for our next edition of Recorded Live at NASPA 2024.